I think if we're better suited, if we emphasize our common humanity, the things that unite us, as opposed to the things that divide us. Hello everyone, my name is Stephen Parton and you're listening to Society in Question, where we use nuance to explore and challenge the social and cultural forces that are shaping the human condition. This week, my guest is Donovan James, a brilliant writer, psychonaut, and filmmaker. Now, Donovan and I have quite an extensive history. We were once roommates who became good friends, and in the near decades since, we've collaborated on many projects together, including dozens of podcasts, several stage plays, and he was even a founding member in my indie publishing company, Curious Apes. As the good friend that Donovan is, he decided to start off this podcast giving me a chance to explain why I thought this was an important podcast to create. This takes us on quite a fantastic journey spanning several topics, and it should actually serve well to give you a taste of what's to come on future episodes. So I'm just going to go ahead and let us jump into it. So everyone, please welcome to Society in Question, our very first guest and my dear friend, Donovan James. Can you hear me all right? I need oh, to yeah. make sure I'm talking loud enough for you. For sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I hear myself great, but I don't know what you sound like or I sound like to you. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Do I want to start this off in any official way? Do you want me to? I could ask you a question. Sure, okay. sure. Yeah. So I guess what was the, uh, yeah, why do you want to start this podcast? Okay. Let's, uh, let's focus on that. Um, I think the main reason off the top of mind that I want to start this podcast is that I genuinely think that the only way to make progress, both as a society and as an individual, and by that I mean positive progress, something that's humanistic, something that's like well-being, life satisfaction, better health, better social cohesion, better harmony. I think the only way to actually get there ever, really, is through difficult conversation. And I think it has to be a difficult conversation, not because it needs to be controversial, not because I'm trying to, to make it edgy or anything like that, but all of the stuff that is important is so nuanced, has so many gray areas, and has so many different perspectives and battling ideologies taking place around that one idea that it's impossible for it to be an easy conversation. And if everyone's agreeing with each other and not having this conversation then all we're really doing is staying in the exact same place. And if it's just two sides having the conversation and they're just going back and forth, well, then it's not a conversation. It's, 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 it's war. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a debate at that point. It's, it's not dialogue anymore. It's a civil war, which is basically what we're seeing now. So I think you have to be able to have the difficult conversation that includes all of the different perspectives and all of the nuances and all of the gray areas. And that makes people uncomfortable. You have to have those. And only through that can you come to the table and actually see what everybody is feeling and thinking and see where the actual path forward exists. Yeah, totally. And like one thing when, when society is split into two sides like that, it, uh, it kind of makes puts philosophy on guardrails or makes like uh, conceptual conversations like bowling with those safety lanes. Like everything is your, your thoughts your opinions are so predetermined by what in this situation benefits the state and the status quo. Like it's harder to think outside of the box when you're cut into two tribes and the philosophies of those two tribes, like 
they benefit the status quo and the way things are to keep people stuck in these rigid ideologies. Like, you know, one thing that's always thrown out as an example is our, our unending, unwavering support of Israel. Like, why doesn't a presidential candidate address that and maybe just throw their support around Palestine or at least the idea of not funding Israel? So, yeah, so when things are divided by like that, it limits what you can think. And also, like you said, it, it, it diverts us into like warish situations where we, where we can't see the other people um, for as human beings, like this will be one of the, I've been reading the uh, calling of the American mind recently and it's amazing. And one thing that sticks out is that like, um, you know, giving people the benefit of the doubt, I think is like becoming more and more lost. Like just being like a charitable reading of what someone said. But our, I feel like so much of our current climate, um, I think maybe more so on the left, although I'm, I don't pay attention to the right that closely. So I'm not sure how much they do this, but like there's this addiction or this desire to keep calling out people or, uh, yeah, just like virtue signaling. Virtue signaling, yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's like uh, not giving them, like I was gonna say, sorry, is is not giving them a charitable interpretation of what they're saying. Like always dropping to the fact that oh, this was because of these reasons, or I'm interpreting this as what they were saying. And I think we would be better off in a lot of ways for our own mental health and as a society if we just gave people the benefit of the doubt sometime and like we could ask follow up questions. Be like, you know, you say this, is this what you meant, or this is what I was kind of getting from that. And they could totally shoot it down or maybe reinforce it. But even then, at least you're on actual fair, a fair reading of what that person meant. I mean, I just can't imagine what it's like to live your life also that way. You know what I mean? To have a perspective on the world where you are assuming ill from everyone all the time, especially if they don't agree with you. And there's a, there's a narcissism there also that's like really unhealthy, right? Like only my viewpoint, only the viewpoint of my group can be correct. And especially, you know, it's going to be the case that often we're very critical of the left, um, myself, and I'm sure you as well, because of the fact that we are on the left and that's what we see more of. And I think we want the left to succeed, right? That's one of the challenges. Like they won't succeed if they take these approaches that undermine their own efforts. And by creating this very like simplistic view of the world that just makes everybody an enemy and doesn't allow for all those conversations in they remove that possibility that they're going to be able to engage in an honest way with all the people they need to move forward, right? There has to be some kind of compromise, some kind of group effort that goes beyond just my group wins and your group loses. Definitely. If they're going to if if there's actually going to be progress on these things that people say they want progress on. Definitely. I I, I really want to emphasize too one thing that you said that like we're both on the left. Like I've been left-leaning my entire life. I've never thought, I've never considered myself conservative. You know, I like protested the Iraq wars. I've always voted for pretty much a left-leaning candidate. My ideal candidate was Elizabeth Warren, huge fan of AOC. I, yeah, I mean, Bernie's great, but I thought he was too old this time. But anyway, regardless, like, um, and like you said, I think it was a really good point that I just want to reemphasize that we criticize the left to help it succeed. We criticize the left because it's not like the left's current ideology is perfectly crystallized and formed and every component of it is completely accurate. And I think it's a mistake to think that way. And it like, it walls us off to criticisms and truths that would benefit the position. And also like you mentioned, um, you know, like a charitable reading of what other people do. Like one thing that sticks out is, you know, when Trump said, made that comment back in you know, 2016 or something or 17 about like grabbing them by the pussy, you know, and it was, it's so hard to understand how someone can support him after that, you know? And it's simplistic and easy to be like, oh, everyone that supports him after that is a horrible human being. But I think it's more difficult but a, but a better thing to do as a human being is to try to read into them as with compassion, you know, try to understand them, try to talk to them about it because like, we're still all in this together. They're still human beings, you know? 
Yeah, not to defend Trump saying that, but to to focus solely on that, I think one of the, the failures of focusing solely on that is what you do is you focus on this target that no one really cares about on the right. Like, right, there's not it's not an important thing to them. And while you're talking about the fact that he said grab him by the pussy, as gross as that is, you're not actually talking about any of his policies. And, and you know, and, and we're, you know, we, we get into debates and we have a lot of conversations and anyone who does that often knows that there's a kind of conversation or a, a ploy that you play in conversations, which is called an ad hominem attack. Mm-hmm. You attack the person so you don't have to attack the idea. And it feels like that's, in that case, I guess that's what I'm trying to get at is like, we attacked Trump for being a gross person but never actually talked about the ideas. We wanted to hate somebody more than we wanted to solve a problem. You know what I mean? And that's another place where we fail. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good point that brings up like how like Trump, Trump, Trump's stance like benefited the left and the right by being that type of person. Um, you know, I think something that happened at the tail end of Trump's tenure in this country, like was that people on the left became addicted to the outrage of following Trump. Like, if he said something fucked up or he tweeted something fucked up, it's like, oh, did you hear what he said? And then, we, and then people on the left would talk about it. And it was almost like, even though their obsession was coming from a place of hatred as opposed to love, it was still obsession all the same. Like, you can fan you can like fan hate something, right? You can be a fan that loves something. You can be a fan that hates it. And I saw people on the left um, in, that, in that situation. Yeah, and it's addicting, I think, like... Yeah, sorry. I just thought the other thing I was gonna say that he mentioned, uh, like attacking the person and not the uh, the platform that he's on, that benefited the right and the left in the sense that, like, the right got to keep running on that platform, got to keep implementing that platform. Yeah. You know, they got three Supreme Court justices and they passed that passed that tax bill in 2017 that only benefited the rich, and yep. they did that because because like the left failed and a bunch of other factors, co- co- you know, aligned. Yeah, and that's what I mean. We we spent so much time attacking Trump that we didn't bring to the surface a real conversation about the, the policies. Certainly they were there and they often get brushed under the rug, but like there's such an obsession with being righteous and, and, and proving how like virtuous you are that there wasn't a real attempt at saying like, Oh, he does X, X and X with his policies. And I don't like that. It was just like, you're sexist, you're racist, you're homophobic, you're X, Y, Z, and therefore, you're not a human worthy of my respect. And therefore, I won't entertain any ideas that come out of anyone who is associated with you. And it's like, okay, fair. Like, you don't want to associate with those type of per- behaviors. I get that. But those people that you're excluding from the conversation are 70 million plus people, plus the president of the United States, plus his cabinet, plus, you know, everybody underneath him who's who's doing whatever he says so they don't get fired. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you can't just ignore that that that's a that's denying reality like you have half the country and the entire group of people in power and you're just like yeah i'm not gonna listen to anything you say and i don't really care and it's like okay but that's where the policy is being made you can't ignore it i know i know and uh yeah i mean i think i think during that whole period there's a whole four or five years it just ratcheted up the tension in this country and the polarization of everything you know it became easier not to you know to not to know anybody that had different beliefs than you. And that, I think, is a really worrisome aspect of modern tribalism is that different ideas, like different germs in childhood, are beneficial to the human organism, right? And, like, it's better to ha- have different ideas, you know, that you have to think about and you have to think up arguments against. It strengthens your own beliefs when you have to do that. But, like, also, like, we're... 
we're never going to, nor should we aspire to a world where everyone thinks the same way. Yeah. And how boring. In, exactly. And how, and any ideology that is like, this is exactly how it has to be read. This is exactly the only correct interpretation of it. And then they have this moral high card, high card where they can throw it against you. Like, Hey, if you don't believe this ideology, well then you're not a good person. It's also so dystopic. The idea to think that you would have like a government mandated belief system that everyone follows. Yeah. Like that's terrifying. <laughs> and, and yet we're in a way fighting for that. Like, all right, everybody think like me. No one's allowed to deviate. You can't question because as soon as you question, I'm going to throw you under the moral bus. So you're not allowed to be part of the conversation anymore. And eventually the world will just be exactly as I see it. And everyone will have that same idea. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's straight out of 1984. But and that's coming from a group fighting for diversity. Yeah, I know. I mean, think about that. I mean, that it's yeah, you know, beating beating the familiar drum here, but it's like there's a diversity of thought as well as a diversity of skin color and sexuality and all of these things, and it's surprising to me that we are so adamant about one, but we don't actually care about the other. Yeah, absolutely, and and I feel like we've kind of I've been you know thinking about how the current philosophies on the left are kind of split between Malcolm X and MLK. There's some there's some trajectories that are being followed here. Uh, and MLK was all about, you know, uh, it, you know, common humanity politics, emphasizing the things that unite us and connecting people that way to benefit those that do need more help. Like it's undeniable that, you know, he was talking about the civil rights movement then, but we're talking about systemic racism now. And I think systemic racism is a true thing in this country and to get people to address it and help, uh, alleviate it. I think if we're better suited on the left if we emphasize our common humanity, the things that unite us, as opposed to the things that divide us, you know? And what's interesting is that Malcolm X kind of took the opposite road for most of his life until the very end that, like, you know, he was very much in this divisive ideology. And for the vast majority, since both of their unfor very unfortunate deaths or uh, murders, um, like... MLK was the predominant philosophy, the common humanity politics, and then all of a sudden with, uh, um, you know, Kindy's uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist and, and White Fragility, it's like they've taken up the, the, the bastion of, uh, MLK, of Malcolm X mm. and the common enemy politics. Yeah, I, I, I remember hearing somewhere that MLK mentioned that the, the white people who are allies who don't see color, who are like passive, I guess, are worse than like the racist you know what i mean like yeah. it, it's worse for people to be on the sidelines and not in the conversation than it is for people to actually be anti like completely against them silence is violence yeah and and i don't i don't want to say i don't agree with that but i i don't know i guess what, what is your thought on that because that that's something that when i read that i guess did kind of go against this whole let, let me put it this way real quick to, to sum up my thoughts a bit more clearly um there's this notion that you like kind of as a white person in today's society should just like shut up and listen. Right. But then there's also this idea that silence is violence. And my point of there isn't to, to, to win and win points over the left and their hypocrisy. My point is to just point that there's a lot of confusion out there about how you're supposed to act. And that's the tricky thing about where we're at right now without being able to have these conversations is you have these really kind of like mimetic, like ideologies that go through that are like these chants that we use at protests like silence is violence silence is violence and we have our other ones and they're like tweets you know it's like there's no nuance we we summed up everything into three words so we could chant at a protest and then it becomes these like f the, the few ways you're allowed to think in society but 
some of them are contradictory and most of them lack nuance. And that's why you get this whole black lives matter versus all lives matter thing is because they're like, you can't sum up this conversation in three words. So I don't know. What, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, well, I, I should preface this part by saying, you know, everything I currently believe on this topic, I am totally open to my mind being changed. I don't know everything. Um, but this is what, what I currently think is that um, I think there's a problem with uh, silence is violence as a concept because one, it waters down what we actually consider violence. Um, I'm not convinced that words are violence. I think words can cause a biological reaction in a human being. Like, you know, if your girlfriend says, I'm leaving you, uh, or would you like me to sit on your face? You know, they're going to elicit two very different reactions in a person. And so, you know, words definitely have biological effects, but I think to call them violence or to call silence violence is a way is it waters down the word violence in much the same way that labeling a lot of things white supremacy waters that down and doesn't benefit the conversation like people john mccorder called it like if, if white supremacy is used as a battering ram to get people like in line to get people in line if they step out of line and i don't necessarily agree with that reading but i do think there's something to the idea that i uh, you know, we, we, we need to be careful in the way that we use these ex this explosive language or simplified language like um, signs of violence or all cops are bastards and, you know, use it in a way we recognize the limitations. If it's a slogan at a protest, it's hard to be nuanced. But, like, we need to have better conversations. And I'm not sure if those slogans give us better conversations, especially, like, with the all cops are bastards. You know, it, I've heard it justified to me that saying, well, the, the, the co cops are an inherently racist institution. And there is a lot of very good evidence, a lot of good historical evidence that th that is how they were created and that is true. But I, I can't follow from the historical racism that inspired like cops to be created to the idea that every human being currently alive that I don't know is racist. That, that's, that's the leap of argument that always boggles my mind about these arguments, right? Like someone, you know, in this current iteration, someone on the left is saying, I've never met all these cops, but I know they're all bad people. Or because of systemic racism, all white people in this country are racist. And I can't take on an ideology that allows me to easily stereotype 200 million people, you know? Mm -hmm. I need more evidence. Um, and I feel like conservatives did it back in 08 with uh, homosexuality, with gay marriage, and with abortion. You know, they said, they looked, they, they looked at all these uh, gay people they never met and they were like they can't get married right mm -hmm. it's, it's like a sin or whatever their argument was same thing with abortion like a woman can't have an abortion and they and i just you know i really bristle against ideologies that make a claim to a, millions of human beings that they've never met before because it just seems inherently faulty oh yeah absolutely right i mean and, and what's ironic about that is like it should be it should be seen as faulty by the people who are making these claims because most people I know who say a cab, who say all cops are bastards are also saying no racism and no homophobia and like racism and homophobia is like all the people under one word. I decide that they are bad people. You know what I mean? That's what racism and like homophobia is. All gay people are bad. All um, black people are bad. All white people are bad. Right. And then all they're doing with ACAB is just replacing the, the word and the second word with cops. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you're, that's the same ideology. That's the same practice. You're not doing anything different. And, and, and that's, that's part of the issue with the, what's happening right now. Why I want to do this podcast is because when you do that, you're showing that like the, the, there isn't a left right like balance here there isn't a conversation there's a there's a that's a flood 
to the extremes where they actually are, are almost exactly the same, right? Like the people who are saying it, like there are real racists out there who really do not like black people, but there are real liberals out there who really hate and would kill cops. Like there's not a lot of difference there. And in my opinion, and I know this isn't popular, but they're both horrendous for society. Anybody who wants to do the ACAB thing right now is equally destructive to the progress that we're trying to make. Like, cause that, that's what fucks me up about this whole thing, right? I don't want black people to be killed by, by cops at all. It's atrocious. It's her, it's disgusting. It's almost the incarnation of evil. It's, it's such a fucking gross thing that is happening. I could not be more against it. And yet I have no desire to see this ACAB movement. Um, and this really kind of like, ham-fisted approach to to handling the police department i don't i don't have any desire to see that happen like that conversation to give it any precedence or weight because like it's so hollow and so detrimental to the conversation like that will get us nowhere that will not stop you know spray painting a cab on a wall and putting it in your dating profile and putting it on facebook will not stop the police from doing anything. You're virtue signaling and just sowing dissent and division amongst the people. How is that helpful? Yeah, yeah. What other, um, what other similarities do you see between the extreme right and extreme left? I, th- I think it's a, a lot of it comes down to narcissism. You know what I mean? Um, and, and you know what? Actually, I'd like to take it a different direction too because I think I don't want to just be kind of like cynical or, or, or you know, hateful about it and, and pretend that I'm like in the middle and my shit doesn't stink. But I think it's about fear. I think I think there are people who are potentially I don't want to say traumatized. That's that's a overused word. It's people who are struggling terribly with making sense of reality because they are probably dealing with way too much stress, fear anxiety and meaninglessness because they are operating a system that is quite exploitive you know in the same way the system doesn't support people who are non-binary or people of color or people who are lower class you know or you know that's the that's the left's fight it also doesn't fight the people who are lower class it doesn't help the 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 lower class white person it doesn't help the hillbillies doesn't have help the people who where my family came from in Appalachia you know what I mean like those people equally aren't helped by the rich one percent people who are powerful and the, the corporations that are creating exploitive advertisement and are creating banking and insurance programs that basically create modern day slavery nobody's benefiting from that and I think what we're seeing is a lot of the people on the extremes on both sides are really just looking for belonging and some sense of power in a world where they feel alone and powerless. Hmm. And that's one of the hardest things about this for me is that I want to be mad at them for destroying the conversation. I, I want to get on my own high horse and be like, fucking stop. But I can't blame them. And I think really, like people like you, people like me, um, I had a fortunate upbringing. I have love and belonging because of my family. I, I have... You know, I, I have a lot of friends who care about me. I feel supported in my life. I, I have a job that takes care of my bills. Um, that's not a super common thing. And I'm fortunate to be able to have my amygdala, my fight or flight turn off long enough to be able to have these conversations and think kind of clearly through the haze. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of the people on the ends um, are struggling with that. So 
you know, in a less cynical way, I think the the real problem is that the radical ends of the the spectrum right now are really just people who are suffering and they don't have they don't feel like they have a better avenue. Well, respect, respectfully disagree a little bit. Um, sure. But I also want to be careful that I'm disagreeing where we actually mean to disagree and not. You know, there's a chance that our definitions of the far left and far right are different. And so I guess I'm kind of shifting the language, but like, I think there's, and you didn't say this, but there's a, I think there's a difference between the, like the left and the right in certain ways. Um, you know, you know, it's remember, it's good to remember time is weird now, but there was an attempted coup of the United States and like the right, you know, did it and the president encouraged them to do it. Um, so that's horrible and really fucked up. <laughs> you know, and like, I feel like, especially given this current climate, so many obvious disclaimers are obvious and, but need to be said, you know? Uh, but yeah, um, and I think there is an attachment to a more of a cult with the right. I think the left, the extreme left, is unfortunately on its way, and considering its power in most of our institutions, poses a larger threat. Which side? The left. The left. Because because of like most corporations, and I think even, I mean, the media is hard because it depends. Then you get a, a squiggle or a squiggle of definitions because you could argue that the media slants left, but if you take like a true anti-war you know, Bernie left, it doesn't at all because, you know, it's still capitalist and consumerist as fuck. But, it, but anyway, I'm derailing my own point. Like, um, you know, I think there's a serious problem with a cult on the right in the sense that they believe more, like they believe outlandish things that are objectively not true. Mm -hmm. You know, it, the left might, you know, have some problem, we think, you know, problem or like issues that could be, be, be bettered about their language. But, you know, the right refuses to acknowledge climate change. They refused and many still do, I think the vast majority of those in power, still do refuse to acknowledge that Biden won the presidency. Mm -hmm. You know, these are situations where there's a denial, an abject denial of mass reality yeah. by the right. And I don't see the same effect on the left, despite like the criticisms that I have because I live on the left. Yeah. And I'm, what I'm wondering is if that just manifests itself in different ways, right? Like one of the big critiques of the left is the fact that they are, very anti-science now very anti-academia you know the idea that the theories are are becoming a pervasive part and and i'm not i don't honestly know enough about critical race theory to speak about it uh there's i'm not going to talk about women's theory and and all these other different um ideologies um but there's a lot of concern that these are really like activist training programs that don't actually teach you about the world they just give you a perspective so you know they're 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 getting that same kind of detachment from reality where they start to question things like there is no biology there is no biological sex it's like okay like yes we all know that sex is a construct everything is a construct by virtue of language everything that we use a word for is a construct that's a moot argument we can move past that Within the reality, though, within the, the, the domain of things that we put words on and, and use to define them, um, there are certain truths that express themselves. There's entropy. There's gravity. There's these certain fundamental things. Now, you can call them anything you want, but gravity exists as a thing in reality. It is the case, for instance, that I think, as far as I can tell, sex is pretty dimorphic it does tend to go about 49 percent of the time female 49 percent of the time male and then you do of course have uh times when it's not that cut and dry and and there are moments where you have um 
body dysmorphia and you have like there's real ways that your brain can can mix that up but you shouldn't just get rid of science and biology in this idea that like there is a kind of a male and female foundational aspect to reality now we shouldn't use that as a way to get away with fucked up things we shouldn't use that fact to deny trans people rights at all i'm not saying that at all but to to your point i guess about denying reality there is a particular element of the left i think that does say hey um sex isn't a thing uh when you say like 49 percent you know of if it's female gender 49 percent is male gender what do you think the attributes that you're putting in there are consistent across cultures beyond well including western civilization but beyond too um if i'm interpreting your question correctly yes i think so like in the sense that the male sex does get more testosterone than the female sex and that happens pretty much regardless of culture like i think that the male um sex tends to have more muscle mass regardless of culture in the same way the female sex tends to have more estrogen regardless of culture like i think though there are certain fundamental like fundamental truths there that yes there's definitely times when you can have a a person a person who is born as a sexual female you know but they have more testosterone or perhaps they become way stronger like i'm a scrawny dude i'll admit it right now like it is what it is there are plenty of women who are way more uh who are way stronger than i am it's not to say that they're the muscle mass that men are given uh, at birth or, or have a higher proclivity towards means that there's no exceptions to the rule but these are categories that do seem to be truths in the sense like gravity is a is a fundamental like a, a truth that just exists out there that do have some important qualities that we need to be able to talk about if we are to actually do certain things like research and to to help people like with surgery and to, you know what I mean? Like yeah. neurochemistry, these things are important. Again, this is a perfect situation of we have to be able to have that conversation that sucks if we want progress. If we start throwing out these categories and pretending they're not real, science starts to fail and we don't make progress. So would you, you mentioned that like, say, you know, men get more testosterone and women have more estrogen. Would you go so far as to say that like certain attributes that, that in our culture are aligned with those genders are like inherent or natural to the genders like you know men being let's say less emotional or more rational in our culture or women being more i don't know emotional or better with whatever like you know do you think those are um inherent based on the biology to the genders i think regardless of culture so from my understanding a lot of this stuff really comes down to like a 50 50 split right like you have fit, a 50 percent biological proclivity and then nature or um, nurture you mm. know the environment comes in and gives you the other 50 percent Again, like I, the last thing I want to do, I, you know, when we were talking about the left and right before, I almost don't even want to say left and right because it feels so simplistic. It feels so binary. When I talk about male and female, I almost don't want to do it because it feels so simplistic and binary. In the same sense, when we're talking about like this now, that this nuance, I almost don't want to say anything because I'm like, well, there's a 50% DNA and there's a 50% cultural side and that can come out in a myriad of ways that is so nuanced and, and, and just so situational that like, I can't make a blanket statement about what, what happens one way or another. You know what I mean? Like that's the thing about these conversations though. If we like, people are going to be pissed that I just said what I 100%. said without a doubt, yeah. 
they're going to think that I'm a bad person. Yeah. And I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, I mean no evil or ill will to any of those people who are going to take that in the wrong way or think that I'm talking about them in a negative way. I don't mean that at all. I want nothing but the best thing for I want their life to be full of joy and happiness and freedom. I want them to know love unlike anyone has ever known love before. I have no ill will against them. And yet they're going to hear that. And because they want either the the power or the, the belonging that comes from having that ideology or a f- some form of validation, or maybe it's because of that, that stress and anxiety and meaninglessness I mentioned earlier, maybe because they need that story um, that they're using to be mad at me with to be right, to, to, to keep at bay those feelings of meaninglessness and, and, and whatnot. I don't know what it is, but like I, we have to be able to say that it's nuanced. Mm-hmm. It is not black and white. To- totally. Totally. And I, you know, I think it's really good just to, you know, to reemphasize those things. Obvious disclaimers are obvious, but you know, do you- making generalities you know like you did about i don't mean to speak for you just commenting on it like like you know making generalities about how you know you know genders tend to i think especially inside western civilization you're going to get more of what looks like uh you know us or or america but i think outside of western civilization you see way more diversity and how the genders roll out but you know but again my point is just that you know commenting on general trends in human societies is that the same thing as saying a person cannot do a thing or cannot have certain attributes? 100%. That's yeah. it. Exactly. Right? And that's the thing is we want the simple version. We want the three words that we can yell at a protest. Yeah. But it's not that simple. You know, I tried to explain this to somebody the other day because they weren't very happy with this my same take on this conversation. And I was trying to explain it. And I don't do it as well as Jordan Peterson. And I know that's going to say a lot that I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of Peterson. We, but We just lost the one listener. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, it's true. Um, but, you know, he, he talks about the fact that he, he describes it well, that if you look at it like a bell curve, right? If you look at it at a graph, in the middle, if you, if you pick the average person, these proclivities are very small differences. Like on average the average man and woman are going to be quite similar. If you, if you grab the ra- a random person from the average population and you asked which one was more aggressive, six out of 10 times, it would be the man four out of 10 times. It would be the woman 60, 40. That's pretty even. We're not that far from 50, 50 at that point. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's pretty even, but if you go and you look at the most aggressive people at that end of the spectrum, if you grab one person randomly from that part of the spectrum, 99 out of 100 of them will be men. One of them will be women. So at the extremes, we see these biological differences really exemplified, right? And that's Mm -hmm. one reason, for example, jails are filled with men. It it really, what I I get from that, like, is that to not have that conversation removes truths from our policymaking that could benefit everyone involved. Yeah. So like if we know that what you said was true and you know, 99% of the most aggressive people in society are men, does that change how we, how we offer mental health? You know, does it change? Like when you look, when you combine that with mass shootings, which are almost exclusively in America, white men, like that they're, they're horrible and they're fucked up. But like, why does that happen to me? I look at that and I'm like, I want less people to die. How do we get less people to die? What is wrong with this population? And I think part of it is that the most number of suicides occur between the ages of 40 and 50 in America in white men. And because of our horrendous gun control and lack of mental health, those white dudes just turn AK-47s, turn suicides into mass shootings. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the great ironies here, right? Is like, there's this idea of toxic masculinity. Here we go. Another, another two, two word phrase that we just use to dismiss so much. But if we, if we're willing to just get past the idea of toxic masculinity and, and, and get away from this idea that masculinity is toxic, I don't care if you have some like supposedly nuanced defense as to like, oh, well, we're not really saying it's toxic, blah, blah. Words matter. Connotations matter, right? And when you say toxic masculinity, you just make men feel like they're toxic people, right? And and there's this idea that we're not allowed to therefore help men. Men are winners. They're, they're winners right now, right? They're, they're in power. They're controlling everything. Um, so we So it's really gross to think about helping the winners. Don't help men. You need to help women right now, right? But if 99 out of 100 mass shootings are from men, it sounds like men maybe need some help. We, maybe we don't need to help them get better positions in companies. We don't want more male CEOs. We want more meritocracy in the business world. But like maybe it'd be a good thing to be able to talk about male aggression in a way that acknowledges that males are different than females in some way, right? First of all, that's one thing we're not allowed to say. Mm -hmm. Males are different than females in some ways. And two, maybe men need help. That's another thing we're not allowed to say right now because we can't help the winners, right? But if we want to solve the problem, and that's the point of this whole thing, if we want to actually help women in society so less people die and there's more equality, let's have that conversation and fix that problem, right? Yeah. But it can only happen if we first step through those first two barriers that are right now from the farther people on the left are not allowed to be, you're not allowed to say those things. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I do I do want to I know this is like taking a, a backward step but like I um I do think that there is a difference uh I do think that gender is I I would personally I personally think that gender is more defined by culture and therefore more malleable I think especially if we could go to like other cultures outside of western civilization we would see a, a greater divergence but this is not to say that the the biology does not have an impact I mean I think percentage wise it leans that direction big time. I'm not saying that men are more different than women on most things. I'm saying that there is there are differences that exist. Yeah. Exist. Ninety nine percent of things, I'd say we're exactly the same. But that one percent does matter and, and we see that expressed in things like mass shootings and suicide and and even things like um uh, rates of suicide and depression in young girls. Mm-hmm. Like Jonathan Haidt, who you mentioned earlier, author of Coddling of the American Mind. Yeah. One of his great studies that really blew my mind, I don't know if it was his study, let me clear that up, a study that he references in a lot of his work is the fact that young girls um, with the release of the iPhone had an increase in suicide from something like, or depression, from something like 9% to 17%. So for the longest time, it stayed steady at around 9%, I think. And then all of a sudden, you get this jump up to like 17%. Massive, massive increase, almost 100% increase. Um and and the evidence shows pretty clearly that it's because these young women are getting online and their form of uh, expressing themselves is kind of through rumor mongering and gossiping and they attack each other with language and verbally, whereas men are very physically aggressive and they take it out in video games and, and, and use porn and these other avenues. So their their stuff didn't, their rates didn't switch very much, didn't change very much or increase a lot, but the young girls did a lot. Now, certainly we can say that there's a cultural aspect to that, but I think there is a part of that that's probably biological, right? There's 
the fact that women get more oxytocin from birth, you know, uh, um, or are, are, are set up to, to create more oxytocin because they are going to bond with kids more. And that oxytocin maybe plays a role in how you interface with other people. So you are more attuned to your interactions with other people and where you fit in. I'm not saying I know, but I'm saying that it maybe isn't just cultural, right? And if we want to help these young girls, mm. it'd be good to be able to say, is there something here that's happening on a neurochemical level, maybe a hormonal level um, that we can address? And if so, if it's not just cultural, can we fix that? And and that's what I mean. It's like, I'd rather see less young women dying to suicide or, de- or having depression. Yeah. Like I want the same thing that I think and that let me and, and I'll shut up after this one point. I'll just be clear. I I think that most people want these things. You know what I mean? That's what gets me about this. I don't think the right wants more depressed young girls. The fathers don't want their depressed kids. The left doesn't want more depressed young girls. Like wh- why is this why can't we have this conversation? And it's because we're so focused on these teams and our ideas being agreed with and not entering into these nuanced gray areas that we spend more time with these ad hominems, right? Attacking the people rather than actually attacking the ideas. And while that happens, more people sit there and die in the background. Yeah. I would, I would personally, I personally think that the, I don't know much about it, but the rise in uh, teen girl suicide that you mentioned, like I would guess that it's mostly based on the cultural surroundings that they're in. And in that case, not biology. Um, but I think, I think that, you know, we, I think we were in this game in, in American society and our politics where it's like, who's the biggest victim. And I'm not sure if that, and for the love of God, that doesn't mean that like some people's lives do not deserve, uh, like more focus and more help. I, that they, that's exactly what they do need. Uh, the mar- marginalized communities, especially, but like, I don't think it benefits us to say like, who's the biggest victim or, you know, to play that, that, that game, to run that currency, you know, because that goes against, again, like our common humanity identity politics and gets back in like common enemy uh, identity politics. I also think something else, this is like totally off topic, but you reminded me of as, as you were talking. I think it's kind of strange that like, that we don't talk about the fact that half the, the, half the population, basically maybe a little bit, probably a little bit less, maybe 45% in America, like had their genitals mutilated without their consent. Like this is kind of mind blowing. Right. Like it, it wasn't like, like, like at least like 40, 45%, you know, like 50%, 49% being dudes. And then the non, was it the Jewish actual Jewish however, population or not? Yeah. Know. However many weren't, it weren't circumcised. Yeah. And then the rest were, and that's like straight up, like somebody cut off pieces of our genitalia without our consent when we couldn't even say no or fathom what the ideas were. And like, that should be stopped immediately. Like we turned, we turned, this country turned pro gay marriage in like, what, four years? It took nothing. That was like a fucking sign of hope. That was a sign that, holy shit, look how amazing we are. When we really get behind common humanity politics, we can turn shit around really quickly. Yeah. And we should do it with other things too. And, you know, the cutting of, the cutting of penis yeah. is a pretty good place to start. <laughs> I'll tell you really about ones. this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's another, uh, but that one, that one gets into even more dangerous waters, right? Because while it's undoubtedly the case that a lot of the political stuff that we talk about is deeply important to life here on earth, what you're talking about is something that has, is a religious um, connotation that gets to the existential that gets to life after this. That is everything, you know, that's, that's someone's belief system that goes beyond just like 
which way should we organize society that gets to like does god the supreme ruler and person who imbues me with all of my life want me to have skin on my penis or not christianity and other western civilization of western civilized or what are they called uh organized you know organized religions um whenever i see something like that and it, that's a good representation of it but like when god when god needs like you know baby penis skin or when he needs money or when he's obsessed about where you put your genitals you know who you have sex with i'm like this is bullshit yeah like i'm not buying that uh, that, a, that a, the christian god cares what type of monkeys have it sex. wasn't the boat that got you the, the boat was, the, was bullshit too honestly that story doesn't make sense 900 year old man never seen one of those yeah seems yeah. like a hard undertaking for a 900 year old man that's let's let's take that direction because that's an interesting one that i've been thinking a lot about and it does tie into what we were talking about which is it feels like religion and, and for that matter, most institutions these days are dying, right? There's a great no effect song, Dinosaurs Will Die. That is a fantastic no effect. It's a great album, actually, Pump of the Valley. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. like their full skate punk one back to back. Not, I'm not going to talk punk. Yeah, punk no punk worries. <laughs> I figured you'd like the no effects <laughs> reference. Um, but, you know, it makes me think about the fact that, like, these dinosaurs of institutions are dying. We are, we are, religion feels more and more today like a fairy tale that people can get rid of you know so many people seem to be wanting ready to to throw off the shackles of religion and 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 find it no longer useful people feel the same way about nation states you know people no longer feel very confident in governments that's why we're looking to be atheist communist you know like in, in a lot of the left um but that does seem to be leaving a void it seems to be creating some kind of vacuum where it seems like something is supposed to exist. And I can't help but wonder if in Russia's, these ideological belief systems, and that's a place that we're at right now is like, I guess, I guess my question really, and the thought that maybe we can expand on here is like, is the death of religion actually causing more problems than not? I don't think so. No. Okay. Uh, I, I think uh, Christianity, I want to say like be specific about the religions that I referenced, but you know, Christianity, uh, the Judaic Christian ones or whatever, I think those should die. Um, they are uh, fairy tales that were useful to us once. That doesn't mean they didn't have good attributes, but uh, like community, you know? So like one of the best things about Christianity was that every Sunday you meet with your community at church, right? And this was a huge bonding thing for societies. It was a great thing. And when, when Christianity died or when it became a only viable, only a, a tribal marker of the right, of the conservative right, that means people on the left didn't have Christianity. They didn't have a religion to bound them together. And then, like, in comes the current politics on the left that we live in, which has a religious bent, a religious fervor to it. Yeah. It has things you must believe in, mm-hmm. right? It, it has the original sin, which mm-hmm. is that all white people are inherently racist because of the of systemic racism in America. That's the original sin that we're all born with. There's the things you have to believe. And if you don't believe them, they, they even have rights of excommunication. Yeah. It fo- This is all of our, I'm pretty sure, for Charles Murray. But uh, like it all follows the exact uh, template of religion. So really, when, you know, when Christianity became a owned by the right the left didn't have one and so they basically vacuumed this i think this identity politics into it and you can see the same religious fervor the religious machinery and the sense of community from it in that sense we're almost reenacting the israeli-palestinian conflict between the urban and suburban uh or rural parts of america like it's like religious warfare still in our political uh landscape i hope it doesn't get there god i hope not either i mean sometimes i worry yeah yeah, but um, it's a really 
it's a really dangerous situation that we find ourselves in. But, you know, back to religion in general, um, yeah, I, I think when I hear ridiculous things about religion, from religion, I always think, it always reminds me of this fraying, like, which I know you've heard before, but you've heard me say before, but uh, if triangles had a God, it would have three sides. Mm. You know, like, you can just see some things that we say God said, and it's like, this was clearly a monkey just like us saying, like, you, what, you can only have one wife or you can't fuck your neighbor's wife? Yeah. Like, some justifiably bitter, probably guy, was like, we got to put this in there, yeah. you know? And so many things from religion are like that. This doesn't mean that I, I personally think that uh, human existence is inherently spiritual, but, and I'm, and I'm Buddhist, kind of, but like I don't, but the organized religions I'm not a fan of. Yeah, do you, do you think that there, aside from our hope that conversations like this will be beneficial, do you see a path forward at all, or do you mm. see change taking place? Like, I... I do wonder if the voices, if the kind of what we're criticizing right now, the, these radical elements of society that are detrimental to true progress and harmony, I'm wondering how big are those uh, groups of people? Are they 2%? Are they 3%? Are they 5%? Does, is both sides maybe 20%? Are they growing? Is it lessening? Are more people saying in the middle, just hoping to pay their bills, take care of their kids, keep their job and work this shit out. Like, are we just going to see those ends fall off over time? Is it gaining steam? Like what, do you, where do you see this going? Or is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Well, I think uh, it's a really good question. I think there's a, a bit of a problem, two different problems where each side has different problems. So the side of, I think the right is that I think the right is more cohesively, aligned in their extremist ideologies and this par this partly comes from the fact that they're more homogenous in their of every aspect of their identity the left uh is more diverse in every aspect of the identity that people that, that are on the left and i think this does kind of tend itself to a diversity of opinion uh so the, the right you know has that homogenous but they're also more um i would just quickly call it like cultish there's more outlandish things they believe whereas on the left we have this tendency our problem i think is where uh ideologies that have a moral high card and that silence dissent and silence questionings can do a lot mm -hmm. with very little support mm -hmm. like you don't need everyone in your population to support the extremist ideologies you just need to be able to have a really good stick or shame card that you can get to make them shut the fuck up. Yeah. And we and the left uses this the, the, this card of racism, where like it's one of the worst things to be to be called, and it is one of the worst things to be. But mm -hmm. like it's used on the left, I think, as a means to silence um, dissent and questioning, which is detrimental to the cause of the left actually achieving the goals that we all want it to achieve. Yeah, and I see things like Pride Month and Juneteenth and all of these things and. It seems weird to me because it feels like there's this massive push to be like, we need to celebrate Juneteenth. Everyone needs to talk about it. It needs to be a holiday. It's important. And then they make it a holiday and everyone's like, now all I get is memes of like, we're not doing critical race theory or reparations or like all these other things. We're going to just say we made it a holiday and now problem solved and we won't work on anything. And it's like, okay, is this not, maybe not a step forward? Like, we, we spend so much time saying we need this to be talked about and it needs to be known. And as soon as it happens, all we do is go, well, fuck you. You're placating us. This is bullshit. You should have done the other 10 things that we had on our list before this. This awareness that we've been fighting for all the time and that you just granted us is not valid at all. We want more. Or it's like, 
you know, oh, great companies are putting uh, pride flags on everything and fuck you. You're just placating us trying to sell products. And believe me, I, I get it. I think that's probably what's happening. Most of these companies are just like, yeah, what's trending? I'll put whatever the fuck you want on my picture. I'll use as many colors and love as many people and be as open-minded or as hateful or whatever as I need to be to make sure that I stay uh, relevant to society and you keep buying my fucking product. But it's like, it's still this catch-22 of like, what what are we doing here? Like, we're, we're fighting for all of these things and then as soon as it happens, we're just instantly cynical of it. Mm. And it's like, what, 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 like we want to just fucking be angry so much. All we want is to be angry. Like, as soon as anything good happens, we just find a way to be angry about it. That, that, it's, it, that is a really good point because it leads into, like, when you when you or I, like, when we've been wronged, right? When someone has, like, wronged us and we're legitimately, like, we did everything right, but we just got screwed. It's mm-hmm. like you get to sit in this sweet and bitter spot of, like, you know, resentment but justified, justified resentment, you know? And, like, there's nothing you could have done better. Like, you have none of the responsibility, and you get this, like, currency of pity from other people, and they feel bad, and they want, you know, all that stuff. And I think that's just that psychological component of a person's personal life applied to society at large, and it's the same thing occurring. And I wonder if that exact same trait is one of the reasons that we see... Um, so, so one of the theories on the left is that, you know, patriarchy has uh let's say is oppressive dominant institutions that um follow certain formats and and are very oriented with power and let's say the abuse of power and not listening to people and it seems like when what happens when people on the other side of that you know that weren't uh, the identity of the patriarchy get into places of power within patriarchal systems and they just continue the patriarchal oppression yeah it's it's that trauma that's occurring it's like those that have been harmed harm in the same ways yeah you know and that's what i see occurring i see all these people on the left that are like hey this is really fucked up but then they treat people the same way they're like hey you really shouldn't stereotype massive groups of people like that felt really fucked up to me as a woman like when you did that to all women and also, also by the way all, all white dudes are pieces of shit yeah all cops and, are bastards right. all white people are and, racist and it's, and it's like you're you're re you're, you're the trauma that you've inflicted that has not been processed because this is a very human journey like i have my own shit that i haven't processed you just take it in and you like not being able to catch it quick enough flinging it out to other yeah. people and that that you know leads to a greater point where we like we're all on a human journey and none of us are perfect and none of our, ide- our ideologies are perfect and it's best if we realize the humility of our of our you know fragile grass glass ceilings yeah, I think that's the challenge, right? Like what so much of what we're doing right now is like we're more f- we're more focused on changing who's in power than changing the system. You know what I mean? Like and and and, and I know there's movements that are like, "Hey, we need communism um versus capitalism and stuff like that." Uh, and I won't go too deep into that cuz I honestly don't I'm not uh, well versed enough in that kind of stuff to to speak on it eloquently. I do think that's a short-sighted idea because it does seem that communism, at least with the current technology we have, is unrealistic and probably harmful to the, most people. But that aside, aside from maybe that like attempt at transforming the system, I see very little actual attempts at transforming the system. I see more of an attempt to just change who's in power. And it gets exactly to your point, which is just like, what are we doing here, guys? All we're doing is just saying, like, I just want to flip the script so the other people, different kinds of people suffer. 
And it's like, well, that's not equality. We're saying we're fighting for equality, but what we're really talking about is like fighting for power. We're not fighting for equality. We just want different people on top. And it's like, that that's not progressive. That's not humanistic. Like to, to your earlier yeah. point, just real quick is, yeah. I think that's what kills me about it is like when I look at that stuff happening, like you were saying about the kind of the hypocrisy of being like, I hate those blanket statements and also, by the way, all these people of this kind of color or whatnot are bad. It's like, you're not helping. You're not like, I look at you and I don't see anyone who's any better than the, the person that they're hating. Like the, the racist that they hate looks exactly like them in that moment to me. And I'm just like, you're, you're literally adding zero to progress. Yeah. Zero. And yet you're going to go home tonight, make four Instagram stories that you just picked up the same four that everyone's going to share because we all have to share the same fucking four things and make sure that everyone knows we all stand on the exact same ground. And you're going to share those and you're going to like go to bed tonight and you'd be like, I fucking solved world hunger. I fixed everything. There are no more problems in the world. I'm so good. I can sleep peacefully knowing I did it. And you did fuck all. And not only did you fuck all, did do fuck all, you made it worse because you drew a line in the sand and you stopped the conversation from happening. Like, yeah, I, I was, I was thinking about it today. Like I can't, I just can't get behind. I, I don't, maybe I just. I'm having a problem getting behind ideologies that specify like who has certain rights based on race, mm -hmm. you know, it just seems like that's a bad way to approach conversations. I think it's better to approach them. Like all human beings, you know, deserve dignity, equal access to all of the good things that we have, free education, free healthcare, U UBI. Um, if they don't, you know, certain areas need to be emphasized, you know, need to be given more resources to get to that bare minimum. Um, also, like, I think I was, you know, while I'm, you know, incredibly privileged and my life hasn't been free of trauma, you know, I have had my share of hardships, mm -hmm. right? And, like, and again, I recognize my own privilege, but, like, you know, some days, like, are shitty for any human, yeah. right? And I just can't get behind taking on ideology that says I am gives me more baggage, gives me more shit about how like another voice in my head that's like, oh, you know, all the normal insecurities that every human being on this planet has, here's some other stuff that like you're morally required to believe about yourself that that is detrimental and that like yeah. you're flawed in these ways and like you shouldn't talk all the time in conversations or like all these things that are bad about you. It's like, and we already have those voices. Our mass culture already gives us that shit through consumerism. Why, why take on another ideology that that would tell me that too. I just and, and, and also an ideology that potentially makes you worse. Yeah. Like th there's something gross to me about this perception that like all white people are inherently racist. Cause it's like, I, I genuinely walk through the world feeling no sense of racism in my life at all. Like there's nothing in me. And, and, and I'm not to, and I'm not saying that there aren't things that I take for granted maybe about my privilege. I'm not saying that there are maybe things that I don't see because of my privilege. I'm not saying um, that there are maybe things that I do that have some hint of racism to them. I don't know. But like there is no part of me in any way, shape, or form that identifies or finds anything appealing at all about racism. Not a fucking ounce of me. But then if I go to a meeting and you tell me I have to say I am racist to, be, to make my living, 
that I have to sit in this room and say I am racist and and come up with reasons why I'm racist, you're making me view myself as a worse version of myself. Mm -hmm. You're making me feel like I have to now become racist in order to be what accepted at my job to make a living so I don't get fired to not get canceled. You know, like what you're making me a worse person. You're not helping me like view my shadow. And, and, and again, maybe that's a virtue of the fact that I have done a fuck ton of personal work. I've worked really fucking hard to get this shit out of my system and to like view things as balanced and empathetically as possible. And maybe there are a lot of people who are going into those places and have to be told these things. But let's not fucking assume that. Let's not assume that because it might not be the case. And, and often I really don't think it is. I think we are. We I feel like there's this movement right now to to to, to say that basically like 50 percent of America is racist. And I'm like, I don't know. It's probably like way less than that. It's probably like way, way, way less than that. Like you're making us way more racist than we are. <laughs> yeah. I want to comment on there, there's a. Like, I just want to comment on one thing that you said, sure. like, uh, not to detract from your main point, which is very good, but like the, uh, like, the, I, I think someone on the left, or actually, I'm just arguing that like, uh, you don't experience or see racism because you're white and like, mm-hmm. but as, whereas like uh, a black person would experience it more, like they have an experience that we don't have of casual everyday racism, which sure. is a hundred percent valid and true and, hap- yeah. and happens. Um, but to your other point though, I think, yeah, man, like they're teaching us like it, in the, in the, um, seminar or the training that you described like yeah they're asking you to like conjure up and basically training you yeah on the f- idea that you are racist and yeah. like and that's somehow supposed to benefit like race relations in this country which makes like the total opposite opposite sense i don't understand exactly how emphasizing our differences and you know having this moral high ground and having this rigidity of conceptual opinions is supposed to benefit our conversations and our, the shit we actually do have to work out as a country. Like yeah. fucked up just shit absolutely happened. And people like us, people that look like us absolutely perpetrated it. But like, since, you know, we didn't, I think it just behooves us to have a more nuanced conversation. And I think most people like would agree with that. Like, I think, I think we are run by the extremists on both sides. Yeah. You know, because like they can, they kotow other people into like getting quiet, which I think is one of the, well, and that's like the thing this. that kills me is they they hijack they hijack people's good intentions right like because nobody because people don't want to be racist people don't want to sit in that room like i haven't had to do this yet but like if if you come to me and you tell me i have to say i'm racist or you tell me i have to like tell you my pronouns or all these certain things there's a part of me that's like i don't like you're you're forcing me to do something you're, you're using my morals to to twist my arm and like i almost don't want to do it just on principle alone it's not even about the fact that like i don't agree with you or i do agree with you it's about the fact that like you're you're a weapon right now you're not a person who's using like love or compassion or empathy to to navigate this conversation you're using a weapon and i don't want to give you the fuel you know what i mean and so even just by virtue of that alone it's 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 not not only self-defeating but it it is dangerous because what it does is it makes people now feel more like defensive and more like in their principles and more like angry that you tried to just fucking get one over on me Mm. you tried to just manipulate me like you're trying to pretend that you're a good person but you're manipulating me 
and now I don't like you and now I'm pissed and now I'm angry and now society is worse off because I'm going to leave this place angry. Yeah, man. Yeah. There, there's, I think you, you like kind of really nailed a difference that there's a difference between, you know, there's a subset of people that are going to bristle against you telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't make them racist. It, it actually is. It's just a human trait. It's a human attribute that exists in all humans. Or, yeah. I'm not all, but I mean, in a, some population of them, some subset. And like, if you try to tell that subset what to do of, of literally a fucking dice roll of identities, like they're like, oh, I don't really like this. I don't yeah. like being told what I have to think or what I have to say. Or, Regardless, to, or to be told that I'm a bad, like, right, or exactly, I'm a bad yeah. person. Like not even what to do, but like to actually hate yourself. Yeah. 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 Regardless of the, 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 the ideology that's, that's in the glass. Yeah. You know? And that's the hard thing too, is like we, we conflate. This is where it gets messy, right? Is because what I'm understanding with critical race theory, for instance, right now is there there are still obvious aspects of our society that are racist systematically and elements that make it harder for a black person or a person of color to navigate the world. And I and, and you know, like Jim Crow laws and like everything post civil rights and stuff, like there's still stuff that we have to deal with. And it's important that we talk about these things and get the history right so that we can make sure that those tendrils of racism are eradicated. And I think that is 100% fair. But then there's this other part of the conversation that gets grouped in with it and gets conflated. And it's because I think the left do a bad job of drawing a line between these two because a lot of the people who are critical race theorists do this thing, which is that they clump themselves in with that group and they say, now we're going to do like, Robin D'Angelo and like uh, Ibram Candy, like uh, type, like hate yourself, uh, racist training. We're going to do all these things that what a lot of people feel like is really just creating more racism in the world. Right. And so you start to conflate those two and people are like, fuck critical race theory. Mm. And what they're really saying is, fuck you telling me I'm racist, but they don't, but that gets conceived as you're saying, fuck learning about the tendrils of systematic racism. And that's another part of what's a problem here is it's, it's why the conversations again are so important is we need to be able to talk about these things to, to pull that apart because we're, we're allowing the dichotomy of just the, the simple explanations that we want to put those things in the same category when really they're different critical race mm-hmm. theory and hate yourself because you're a white person, I think, and I might be wrong about this, but I think they're different things. And I think yeah. one of them probably has good intentions and the other one is kind of a gross power grab. Well, to you know, on the, he sells a lot of books when he tells white people they're racist. Can, can, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah D'Angelo. Yeah. Like, or D'Angelo. Yeah, so like that, that needs to be said in the same conversation about Robin D'Angelo is that, you know, one, she makes a lot of money uh, speaking about her whole white fragility thing. Also, the book is mostly just her own personal... Like racism, yeah, it's her own personal racism. Like she's like, well, you know, I went up and did this thing, and I felt racist, or I thought these things, and it's like, but like that's so strange because it's such a weird argument that we don't let fly in any other situation. Where like a writer writes a book and like, oh, see their thoughts, everybody has that thought of that race. Like what the fuck? Yeah, that's fucked up. And then like the whole idea of um, that like you know, white fragility is like they have they they have that trick card play right where it's like. They're like, oh, well, you know, you're racist because of the systemic racism in America. And you're like, uh, I don't think that's true. And like, well, that's your racism. That's your white fragility, your racism showing. That's what you yeah. would say as a, you know, as a person that grows up in this situation. Or you just have to say, yeah, I'm racist. Yeah. You know? And yeah, I, I just think it's... I, and the last thing about Robin D'Angelo is like, it's crazy to me that 
this person just came along and wrote a book and we in like a whole half of a tribe in America. Well, not, I shouldn't say that much, but like uh, some subset of the left in America just caught totally behind it. Mm-hmm. We're just like, hey, this book is 100% the gospel now. And that is so strange to me and so worrisome. And I feel like it's also revealed and how quickly we jumped behind, um, you know, the BLM protest last year. And obviously, this disclaimer is obvious, but like, I'm a, the black people, black people that are killed by cops in this country, it's incredibly fucked up. It should be ended. You know, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor especially were atrocious. Um, but that being said, I do think that there was a situation that occurred last year where it just became obvious that the left was very malleable and would jump like an army to believe in things and to act in a certain way. And I think all I'm saying, my my point is just that we should we should question and we should just be introspective when we notice ourselves being manipulated very quickly to jumping onto new ideologies out of nowhere and to following mass movements. That's all I'm saying. This is yeah. not about the correctness of, of the BLM movement, which I greatly support. Um, the process in Portland is a different conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that gets into this, the importance of, like what if I could say like what is the number one success that a podcast like this could have, right? What is it? Wh- you know, in my am I just doing my Instagram pictures and then going to bed tonight thinking that this podcast solved the problems? Probably a little bit, <laughs> yeah. but more more tangibly, like if I'm trying to be as genuine about it as possible, what I'm really hoping is that it creates kind of that third space uh, where people feel like they don't have to just belong to one of these groups that are against each other they can maybe have this third group that is really uh, nebulous, right? That is more just like, hey, you, we're going to accept you and you don't have to believe anything. All you have to do is come to the table with kindness, respect, empathy, some curiosity, and you're in. You're fucking in. You don't have to believe anything. Matter of fact, we're not going to control your thoughts at all. We just ask that you represent like kindness, really, at the end of it. And... Like one thing I would say to people too who who are really feeling like they're, you know, if, if you're right now going down to a protest or you're driving a uh, truck with a Trump flag in the back or you're talking about, you know, how much you hate the people on the left or how much you hate the people on the right and you just view them as like the worst type of people or you think your group's got all the answers figured out, ask your peers, ask your friends, ask the people around you. Ask them anything that challenges their ideas. And if they don't accept you, you're not you're not with a friend. You're not with somebody who cares about you. You're with a group of people who are looking to have power and want your solidarity. They want you to join them in their fight. You're you're not like the if you can't question the people in your life who are close to you, you don't want to belong to that group anyway. That's not a group you want to belong to in my opinion, and I, and I know that it's, that that's gonna not always work, right? Like it's gonna be like, well, my family, I can't just walk away from my family because they refuse to like accept me after I question my ideas yeah. or something. But like in the grand scheme of things, see what happens, see what happens when you question the people near you and fi- you'll find out very quickly whether or not you're there as a friend or if you're there as like, a comrade or like an ally in the war right yeah. and those are two very fucking different things you want friends we need friends right now we need love and kindness we need that third place to push forward we can't have this 
you're either with a with me or against me mentality because that's not friendship that's yeah. that's like a that's like some bullshit third grade like kindergartner shit where you're like drawing a line in the sand and like if you if you don't do this we're not friends anymore or, or if you're the president circa yeah, what no, 2002 Jesus Christ, like yeah. bush said that exact thing yeah um, he did <laughs> yeah but you know what i mean like that's we we don't want a world where it's like these weird uh, ultimatums i guess is what i'm trying to say like these weird ultimatums of like if you don't believe everything i believe then you're not allowed to be in my life yeah it reminds me of another quote from uh, Coddling of the American Mind, where it, actually, the quote itself is from the Gulag Archipelago, which got it from somebody else. Someplace <laughs> yeah. else. But anyway, you know, I mean, it's hard to darkness uh, that, uh, you know, there's a there's a there's a dividing line in beside every person that separates good and evil. Like there's no good and evil person mm-hmm. entirely. Like that line is in between every person. It's one of my favorite quotes. Yeah. And yeah. like, I was thinking about that, reading that and thinking about what the Gulag Archipelago was, which, you know, I haven't read the book, but to my understanding, was pretty uh, fucked up in atrocious uh, labor camps in the in one of the communist empires or countries, and uh, yeah, and just then like thinking about that, thinking of how this ideology communism was like so well intentioned. It was like you know we want to help people, we we want equality, and then they get themselves into like fucking the Gulag Archipelago, these labor forced labor camps, and it's like, yeah, I mean you can that's that's the whole thing behind the quote. You can go in with the best of intentions. You know, with like all that good, and like just along the way, it just gets pinged over to evil. You know, like we can commit horrible things, and it's better for all of humanity and better for our societies and our conversations if we recognize that that it's within all of us. You know, if you go out yeah. there, and I think you might have mentioned this to me before, but like if you go out there and you think that you haven't done any evil, like, like it's it's bullshit. You have. It's in you. You know, it's possible that you do something bad, and like recognizing that about ourselves and striving to not be evil not to do not to do those bad things is what we want to cultivate you know we like a a better understanding of ourselves and this has got to be psychology 101 is that like you know the more you understand understand yourself the better of a person you can be repressing repressing truths that's not gonna fucking help you grow or get more wise if you can't see it in yourself the person you know best how could you see it in other people you know what i mean Mm. like if you can't see how you could become a monster how do you have the right to declare what monsters are in the world like you get a firsthand experience inside yourself, the perfect candidate, and you'd completely turn a blind eye to it. Of course, everything outside you is going to be, you won't be able to correctly perceive it because you've made yourself blind to a whole facet of, of reality. And, you know, one of the quotes that I, I live my life by at this point really is like, everybody is the hero of their own story. Mm-hmm. And the other one is everyone's fighting a battle that you know nothing about. Right. And it's like, very fundamental to uh this what we're talking about to loop it back to your earlier point is like everyone everyone thinks they're doing a good thing for the most part there are there are like what three to four percent of of psychopaths uh sociopaths in society for for the most and they're mostly ceos (laughs) probably uh but for the most part the majority of the people the thing they're doing isn't because they enjoy hate or pain you know what I mean? It's because they think they're making the world better. The people who were okay with Trump saying that uh, about grabbing grabbing women by the pussy, they weren't thinking I'm supporting evil by letting him by voting for him now. They're thinking like, okay, I'm willing to let this thing he said that's kind of fucked up uh, be forgotten for the fact that I'm trying to keep my family from losing their jobs um, and like from you know, having a, 
another person in the White House who is just a life career long politician who's just going to fuck over my family and kill us all. Like they're not thinking I want to dick over the leftist. I mean, to an extent, Trump was just a middle finger. There's no doubt about that. But you know what I mean? Like it's not malevolent. It's I really think I'm making the world a better place. And we have to start there with that good faith, uh, uh, you know, good faith intention about other people is like, I'm just going to assume you're for the most part, probably a person who's trying to do the best that they can for themselves and the world around them. Yeah. And most people I think are there. I, I think this is a good part too, to point out that like, you know, the, uh, uh, the, re- the reason people were in that situation of voting for Trump for their own economic best interests is because the left has had abandoned the lower class and the labor movement in this country. Yeah. By the left, I mean like corporate Democrats. Uh, you know, Obama's, um, you know, came into a really a situation that was economic uh, destruction because Republican presidents tend to do that. Uh, if you go back to like pretty much the, the last few, you know, Reagan uh left his uh reagan and then bush senior left the economy in a recession that that clinton had to repair and bush left uh, the economy in the worst states ever been in since the great depression that obama had to repair the point being though that obama's uh economic recovery was centered around urban cities and not rural areas Mm -hmm. so he like left them behind in a sense and that's what motivated those people to vote um so partly what motivated those people to vote so red but you know the 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 failure of corporate democrats uh giving up on the labor movement extends back like you know 40 or 50 years probably since the counterculture movement and if if we had a true populist left-leaning party in this country like or uh even if the democrats had allowed bernie sanders to run in 2016 I don't believe Trump would have been elected because we would have had the outsider that was populist and supported the economic theories that they that would have benefited them. If they were given a choice between a populist um, outsider that didn't support their economic theories that as much as Bernie, like they, they chose him instead of Hillary because she was not liked and um, pretty corporate. So that, that was a lot of the factors apply. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the things we can acknowledge here, right? Which is maybe and this is to my point earlier where i was trying to be less cynical about the 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 more radicalized members of society is let's let's come together and stop that stuff from happening at the top let's change that system of kind of like oppression and exploitation and demagoguery and these kind of like people who are making two hundred thousand dollars salary to make decisions about the entire country and getting millions of dollars of like uh, donations from interest groups and other things and are completely bought and are making decisions that help corporations and screw over the masses. Let's, let's stop hating everybody who voted Republican or who voted Democrat. Let's stop doing that just entirely and finally come together and be like, Hey, I bet you hate being poor. I also hate being poor. You know what I like? I like having my kids get good education. I bet you like having your kids get good education. I would rather not have people die. Seems like you probably would rather not have people die. Why don't we team up on those ideas and fix the fucking government? You know what I mean? Like we are playing the perfect game right now that they, the people at the top, want us to play. We're fighting each other so much and not having these kind of nuanced conversations that we spend all of the time just battling each other, never changing the system that's actually causing all of the problems for our lives. Absolutely. And like that's if you could have created a destructive seed of an ideology within the left to just to eat itself, 
it would you'd be hard pressed to find something better than what the left is currently espousing yeah what i mean by that is like in in 2016 you know we had one of the well i mean you know all drone attacks aside um he was he was a pretty good president uh depending on, I guess, how far left you get. But, like, Obama was pretty great. You know, we had that. We had a lot of good things for going for us. And we, like, imploded. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't beat, like, one of the worst people that's ever run for president. Um, and I think that's partly due to because, like, this divisive ideology arose in the left that just, like, annihilated its – or really shook its potential to have these types of conversations. You know? well, and exactly. We saw it. And that's the thing. That – same mentality of of kind of like divisiveness and tribalism that we hold against the right we hold it against ourselves right so now we're like you're a bernie a bernie supporter well fuck you for being sexist against hillary and it's like whoa 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 we're on the same fucking team right you know fuck teams in general i don't give a fuck but like we should be as if the left is going to work together to beat trump they shouldn't be creating tribes inside their own group to, to hate each other. And that's the, the, that's the place where the right succeeds, right? They stay pretty fucking cohesive. Mm-hmm. They're pretty, like you said, there's, there's a homogeny there that while maybe it looks kind of gross at times because you're like, oh, it's a bunch of white people making decisions for everyone else. Ooh, that's kind of gross. At least they work together in that sense, right? Whereas we are so excited about drawing lines between everybody mm-hmm. while supposedly looking for equality and you know y- union um that we just fucking infight and then rather than get bernie sanders the person who probably could have beat trump and would have given us some semblance of progress we fought each other enough to get hillary clinton who it was pretty clear that nobody wanted, but we wanted we wanted a woman more than we wanted a white man, and I think we were willing to make anything happen with that. And then you get all the other stuff. It's a Clinton, so naturally you she has experience and all this stuff. But my point is like we drew those boundaries and made it about sexism and all these other things, rather than being like who could actually help us make progress with that. And, and we got so caught up on that we didn't even think about the fact that like still at the end of the day a president's a a figurehead to an extent and it's not like bernie was gonna suddenly make the world socialist you right. know what i mean it's like it would have been nice he was yeah he's just gonna put forth some ideas that would nudge us towards maybe a better world it's like we lost that entire trajectory of our life and we got stuck with i mean a different round yeah I, I think a person's i think a politician's uh ideology and platform matters more than their race and identity um like I would much rather have Elizabeth Warren than Hillary Clinton. I'd much rather have, you know, Bernie Sanders in 2016 than Hillary Clinton because they more align with my ideology of the far left in terms of taxing corporations, UBI, universal healthcare, universal sure. education, all those things. Like Clinton and Biden are not going to do that. So the the thing you described kind of played out in a weird in a weird mirror in 2020 in the sense that like you know Biden got the presidency over more liberal candidates, and it wasn't this time because. It was still like the institutional status quo of de- corporate Democrats looking out for themselves. Yeah. You know, and they, they look at this infighting and they, do they really give a shit? Like, you know, everyone that we're criticizing, including ourselves, like, I'm going to vote Democrat for the foreseeable future mm-hmm. in this country. Because, like, the people on the right don't, I mean, fucking climate change alone. But, and so they have a certain, you know, uh, horse in the race, I guess, of keeping us divided and keeping us 
you know, not concentrating on the issues of the corporate corporate Democrats don't want to address because they're paid fuck tons of money not yeah. to address them. So it's like, oh, they want us to like put pride flags or use our pronouns or do whatever. They don't give a shit because no. they're taking in the same fucking money. They don't have to implement new policies that actually benefit the masses and the poor. You know, that's what that's why they'll give us this little like you know linguistic hand job because yeah. it doesn't matter to them. Hundred percent. And I just want to say too, like I think importantly these things do go beyond like politics and whatnot like that we we will benefit more as a society in all aspects of our life from embracing the difficulty of these conversations and like difficulty in general right like i want to bring home a little bit before we wrap up uh because it's really hot in this apartment uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh that you know, Nassim Taleb, I think is how you pronounce his name. Uh, he did, he wrote the book anti-fragility. And like, I think about that constantly now, man, like our immune system gets stronger when it gets exposed to bacteria. Our muscles get stronger when we get, you know, when we rip our muscles apart, like our consciousness gets better when we push our consciousness, our, you know, when you, you have a traumatic experience, you typically do exposure therapy and get exposed to the thing. Like when we get a vaccine, we're getting injected with the thing that makes us struggle so that we can learn how to beat that thing in the future. And it's like Mm -hmm. so much of reality seems to be built on this idea that struggle creates adaptation, creates evolution, creates improvement, and it makes you a better person. And the conversations like this that suck. Like I feel like no matter what happens, you and I are going to walk away from this conversation in some way, a little bit tiny better for having play with ideas. And I mean, unfortunately you and I have talked so much. I think we agree on a lot of things and I appreciate where we push back on each other. So we didn't get to maybe struggle as much uh, between the two of us, but you know, struggling to think even just how to explain ourselves is still a struggle that I think improves us. And, I guess I just want to point out that I think that's another benefit of what's what could happen here with this podcast and with these kind of conversations and why it's so fucking important is like we become better. It makes us healthier. It makes us smarter. It makes us wiser. It makes us less susceptible to manipulation. Like it just is good for us. Oh, yeah. I, I could not say it any better. Maybe we should wrap up there. All right. Yeah. All right. Domin, thank you. Thank yeah, you, man. everybody. Of course, buddy. Boop.